I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to this week's episode of Good Faith Weekly, and we're glad that you've joined us on this episode. We're going to be having an extended interview with Judge Wendell Griffin from Little Rock, Arkansas, and we're going to be talking about the latest current issues surrounding the death of George Floyd and the protests that have spawned from horrible, horrible event in Minnesota. So make certain you stay tuned for that interview. It is a must listen to. Autumn, how are you doing this week? I'm, I'm tired. Yeah. And I know our, um, our black brothers and sisters are tired too. And so I'm feeling this urgency to, to help, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's exhausting. It is. It's been 10 days since George Floyd was killed at the hands of uh, the Minneapolis Police Department, a police officer placing his knee on the neck of George for almost nine minutes before George passed away. It has spawned protest not only across this country, but around the world like we have never seen. The hashtag I can't breathe, the hashtag Black Lives Matter, anything associated with police brutality and overt and systemic racism is trending on Twitter. This is a moment in time that I know I have never experienced, and I don't know if this country has ever experienced the coming together of community to denounce racism in such a public way. Yeah. And it's, I think it's that unity. It's all 50 states. It's so many countries around the world. And, but I think the hardest sometimes is not that global perspective, but it's in our own homes, in our own families, in our own villages that we've built around us. It's hard to be what feels like the dissenting voice. Yeah. And those are, that's, you know, that's one of the most difficult conversations uh, to have regarding race is with family members or people who are you're close to in community, your friends, your coworkers, uh, because there are moments that people will try to defend policing uh, in the manner that we saw it in Minnesota, yeah. as well as denounce protesters who are marching in the streets. Um, and it's really disheartening and it's troubling when you hear family members and friends that uh, you've known for quite some time say the things that they're saying. Um, it's really, really troubling. And, you know, we've had these conversations in, in my family. I know you've had them in yours and I know our listeners are probably having them in, in their families as well. And I don't know what to do about that. I mean, you know, we have this, uh, in, in my family, we have these values. We have this uh, conviction that racism and systemic racism are the original sins of the United States all the way back before the founding of the country and the genocide of the indigenous people and then the enslavement of Africans. Uh, and, and so it is the original sin. Racism is the original sin. And as you'll hear in a moment in the interview with Judge Griffin, uh, it's all about white supremacy uh, and not white supremacy necessarily as you would think of it in the South and the KKK and hoods, but systemic white supremacy that our systems, our institutions are built for a white ruling class mm-hmm. to thrive at the oppression and the subjugation of minority classes. Yes. And I don't feel like that's debatable, but you would think otherwise if you were to scroll through a lot of social media. So I came across an article um, on medium.com by Phoebe Wall that used a term that I'd never heard before, but is something that I've experienced my whole life. And it's called spiritual bypassing. And when you first hear it, you're kind of like, what does that mean? And she says, when we're faced with uncomfortable and distressing societal struggles and failings of justice, I've noticed a tendency for spiritual folk to come out with the same old tropes. Everything happens for a reason. You create your own reality. Keep your thoughts positive. Only focus on the good stuff. Trust the divine timing of life. All lives matter. Right. 
Yeah, it is this it is this attempt to minimize the real issues that we are facing and have truly faced for generation upon generation. It is the uh, over spiritualization, and it's not. I, I mean, let me let me rephrase that. It's not even the spiritualization of the issues that we're facing. It is uh, an attempt to minimize these issues so it makes other people feel better that yeah. they're not complicit in what's going on. And I've heard it time and time again. Well, I didn't put my knee on Floyd George's neck. I didn't take a baton to an African-American. I didn't pull out a long gun. I never owned a slave. Right. You hear it time and time again, but there's no debating the reality that there is white supremacy uh, that has contributed to my white um, privilege. That's it. Thank you. White privilege. That's exactly the word I was looking for. Well, it's hard for you because you're Native American. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it. It's right there at the cusp of everything I do. Um, uh, you know, and I would never, I, and I will never equate my story to what our black brothers and sisters have endured and continue to endure this day. I don't know what it's like to walk outside and to worry for my life when I see police car lights in my rearview mirror. Yeah. But I have been the victim of racism on a couple of a couple of occasions in my life because of my Native American heritage, mm -hmm. uh, because of my brown skin. I can remember when I was playing college baseball or playing high school baseball in the state of Oklahoma. I led the entire state in batting average. And I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I hit <laughs> thank you. I hit 509. So I got I got on base with uh, more times than I did not get on base. And thank I you because you know I'm not a baseball person. So I appreciate you breaking <laughs> that down for me. <laughs> well I, I figured I probably need to explain it. <laughs> it's not mansplaining when it's true. I don't know. <laughs> um but I had recruiters, both collegiate recruiters and professional baseball recruiters, uh, concerned about my Native American heritage. In what capacity? In Oklahoma, Native Americans have, have been traditionally known to be lazy, uh, to be more prone to alcoholism, uh, to not want to get away from home. And so why would a college or a professional uh, program want to invest in an athlete who did not have a future? And then uh, more recently, and when I say more recently, 2001, um, you know, the world changed on 9-11-2001 my world changed along with it, but it changed more so on 9-12-2001 when uh, on the morning of 9-12, I walked into a local Starbucks in Fort Worth, Texas and got uh, a black coffee and, and came out. And as I was getting into my car, a young man in a pickup truck uh, squealed his wheels to a stop behind my car and looked at me and again, mistaking me for a person of Middle Eastern descent, uh, told me to get out of his country, flip me off and drove away. And it was just a, you know, a moment that reminded me that people of color are seen differently by a majority ruling class. And again, those two stories in no way to equate to what our black brothers and sisters have to go through because it's far, far worse. Uh, but we've got to start understanding that as a society, our institutions are seen through a whiteness mm -hmm. and that white supremacy and white privilege is ingrained it is into us as a culture. And I think recognizing that white privilege is a really good place to start. Um, I know a lot of people feel very triggered by the words white privilege. They think, well, I grew up poor or I've had a hard life or I've experienced things that aren't good. 
um, I'm not privileged, but you haven't experienced those things because of the color of your skin. And so it is white privilege. And in our interview with judge Griffin, he says a couple of times, um, in reference to the George Floyd case, he mentions that black people didn't know it was so hard to get arrested. You know, you have on camera four officers killing someone or being complicit right. in someone killing someone. And it took a week for them to be arrested. And it really took me back to a time when I had an interaction with a police officer and just, I'm going to tell the story very quickly, which you know, was not my forte, but <laughs> I was, um, I was about midway through a really complicated pregnancy and it was lunchtime and I was meeting some people on campus corner in Norman, which, you know, is notorious for their, uh, the campus corner police are just sort of next level, um, sort of like Barney Fife, really. I mean, just vigilant is what I'm looking for. They're vigilant. So we parked or I parked my car, reached over to get my purse together. And when I turned around, there was an officer standing there at my window and I opened the door and I was like, hi, you know, can I help you? And he said, your tags are, the tags on your car expired. And at that time, our car was registered in Texas. We hadn't registered in Oklahoma yet. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, we'll take care of it. And he was like, I'm towing your car. Wow. And my husband and I were in a place where we didn't have a whole lot of money. And so I knew a tow would be like $200. And I was like, listen, I, I promise I will take care of it. Do you mind? And he was like, no. He was like, I'm towing your car right now. And I had like baby stuff in the bag. I'm giant pregnant, like waiting to go in to eat. I'm hungry. I'm hormonal. Um, and I lost it a little bit. Um, I was sobbing. Sure. I, I did not get close to him at all. But I, I dissented. And I let him know that I didn't think what he was doing was fair and kind of went on and never in any instance did it ever occur to me that my life might be in danger. Right. Never. Yeah. And that is white privilege. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you've got uh, four kids. I've got two sons. Um, you know, I never thought to have the conversation with them that, all of our black mothers and fathers have to have with their children. Mm -hmm. And that is, you've got to act extra good and you've got to be extra careful when you go out because you are a target. You are a potential target for some racial biased police officer or individual, as we saw in South Georgia to to shoot you. Yeah. And we didn't have to have that conversation with our kids. No. Uh, but every, every African-American father and mother has told me they have to have that conversation with their child. And that's just, it's heartbreaking and it's terrifying. It is. Shouldn't have to do that. No. And I, and I hear my conservative friends saying things like, well, why do they arrest? Why do, why do they resist arrest? Why aren't they, you know, why are they being combative with the police? We've all had moments where we're combative. You know what I mean? Like we all feel like, you know, you're, you're upset in that moment when you're getting a ticket, when you're getting these different things. And I'm not even being racially profiled. Right. Yeah. And especially when this is, I mean, this is not just, these are not isolated incidents. Uh, No. Uh, When you're constantly being targeted just because of the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've had, had, colleagues of mine, African-American colleagues of mine, talk about just going into a store and having security follow them around because they're convinced that they're going to steal something. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, and, and, and in even more dangerous situations, uh, you know, we, we talk about uh, Eric Gardner, uh, who died at the hands of the police and was choked in New York City, um, you know, was outside selling uh, audio tapes uh, to, to make a little extra money and, you know, police officers came and ended up having an altercation with him. I mean, yeah, we see these altercations and we see these moments where there's confrontations between citizens and police, but make no mistake about it. They have been harassed all of their life. Yep. All of their life. Yes. And at some point there is a breaking point there is where some- you do get frustrated and you start to talk back and, you know, you, you may want to resist a little bit and then all of a sudden things get out of control and bad things happen. 
but the police we, officers are the professionals in that instance and they have to be professional and they have to be checked. Right. And I've talked, I talked to uh, Norman, Oklahoma's uh, former police chief, who's now in Little Rock, Arkansas, African-American uh, police chief, He's uh, dear. Keith Humphreys about yes. this. And Keith actually came to the church I was pastoring at the time. And we talked about what was going on with policing and he's, and, and he admitted that there is systemic racism uh, within law enforcement. Um, but he said a lot of these instances that we're seeing, while racism certainly is a root cause behind systemic issues that they face, a lot of them are just absolutely, quote unquote, bad policing. Mm. Officers are doing a horrible job at those times when people die at their hands. There should never be. No one should ever die because they're there's a suspect for a forgery of a $20 bill. No. no. That is wrong and evil every, every time. No matter how you slice it. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, I hope everybody stays and listens to our interview with uh, Judge uh, Wendell Griffin uh, here in a moment after the break, because it is a must listen to. You do not want to turn, turn away. Are you worried that COVID-19 is going to put off your plans for theological education? The Baptist Seminary of Kentucky is offering a full schedule online this fall. Our approach to online education is unique, offering classes live and face-to-face via Zoom. At BSK, relationship is critical, and we are thrilled to be able to offer our Master of Divinity, Pastoral Care Certificate, and Rural Ministry Certificate this way. Learn more at bsk.edu. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and this week we have a very special guest with us from Arkansas. We want to welcome to the podcast Reverend Honorable Wendell Griffith to this week's podcast. Judge Griffith is a District 5 judge out of the Sixth Circuit for Pulaski County in Arkansas. He's also the senior pastor at New Millennium Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Your Honor, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you, Autumn. It's good to be with you. Good day. Good afternoon to you. Well, we're glad that you have joined us. Each and every week uh, during this pandemic, Judge, uh, we've been asking our very special guest the very same question, and that is, how are you feeling and how is your family feeling? I'm well. Our family is well. Thank you very much. We've been able to do this and still have good health and hope the same is true for you. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're, we're doing well. So we've got uh, lots of questions and a lot of material to work through. And so uh, I'm going to let uh, Autumn ask the first question. Perfect. Your Honor, you recently wrote a blog at your site, The Fierce Urgency of Prophetic Hope, and it was called What is Wrong, What Went Wrong, and Making It Right. You addressed the brutal killing of George Floyd at the hands of the police. And um, like we've all been sitting by and watching horrified um george floyd was killed by minneapolis police officers after they arrested him on suspicion of a counterfeit 20 dollars bill um the Derek chauvin was the white officer who placed his knee on floyd's neck for almost nine minutes as other officers participated and looked on and so just this week an independent autopsy in fact i think it was yesterday the independent autopsy revealed that he died from injuries while under police custody um, prior to that release of the autopsy the state medical examiners claimed to find no evidence that he died at the hands of police so what's your response to such blatant and systemic racism it is further proof of the very things that have infuriated black people and brown people and red people and poor white people about the uh, criminal punishment. I don't call it a criminal justice system, the criminal mm. punishment system for so, so very long. Mm. And it is uh, the most recent outrage, the most recent frustration. Uh, but it is also, it is also the truth that is inescapable. No one can now say the system is fair. Mm. Well said. 
Absolutely yeah. well said. In response to Floyd's uh, killing, Judge, thousands of people have taken to the streets across the world, not just here in this country, but in countries elsewhere, to protest the deadly actions of the Minneapolis police over Floyd's death. However, as we all know, this was not an isolated incident for our country. There was uh, Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Ahmaud Arbery in South Georgia, and many, many others before them. Can marches and protests help change the tide and call attention to the racism that fuels our country? And what can protesters do to engage this terrible systemic ra- uh, uh, systemic racism that our country faces? And for d- dear sake, Judge, how many more black, brown, red, colored children have to die before white America wakes up? Well, let me ask, answer the first or respond to the uh, first to the last part of your question. How many more? Mm. That's up to white America. Mm. Uh, people of color do not have the power to decide when white America will decide to change the system of punishment that basically gives police immunity and impunity to kill people. Only white people have that power. Uh, I never knew it was so hard to get arrested until I saw how hard it was and has been to arrest white folks who kill black folks and red folks and brown folks. Mm. Black folks didn't know it was this hard to get arrested. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but white folks apparently have always known it was as hard to get arrested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so only white people can decide that uh, we're going to arrest police and we're going to arrest them quickly who abuse and who kill people. And we're going to arrest them whenever they kill and abuse people who are unarmed. We're not going to fire them and let them get another job at a different jurisdiction. We're going to arrest them mm-hmm. and make them do the perp walk. And when that happens, it'll happen because white people decide to make it happen, not because people of color are marching. Now, people of color need to keep marching. Yeah. And we need to keep protesting because you understand the squeaking wheel gets the grease. Mm-hmm. We learned as infants that crying out is the God-given means by which humans let let the world know we are in pain. And so we have to cry out. Heaven help us if we don't. Mm -hmm. But heaven help the society if we cry and our cries go unheeded. And that's what we're seeing now. We have seen generations of cries go unheeded. And now what we're seeing is the whirlwind that has been harvested, is being harvested. Mm-hmm. They sowed the wind and we're reaping the whirlwind. You know, you speak, you speak about crying out judge and you watch the video uh, footage of, again, just this brutal killing of George Floyd. And while the officer has his knee on his neck, Floyd is crying out. Not only is he saying he can't breathe, but he's crying out for his his mother. And he's crying out out of pain and agony. And it reminds me of the biblical text when the Hebrews face such uh, demonstrative actions and oppression by the Pharaoh. In that yes. specific text in Exodus, it doesn't say they cry out to God. It doesn't say they cry out. It just simply says they cried out and God heard their cries. Right. And that's why I feel uh, like we are today. We, uh, in my tradition, the African-American tradition, we sang a song. Richard Smallwood recorded it uh, several years ago. I love the Lord. He heard my cry mm. and pitted every groan. Long as I live and trouble rise, I'll hasten to his throne. We have been crying out to God, and we have been crying out publicly. We have been crying out with protests. I can't breathe. We have been crying out, hands up, don't shoot. Mm -hmm. We have been crying out, Black Lives Matter. We have been crying out, 
no justice, no peace. We have been crying out. Others have not known, but God, as you mentioned in Pharaoh, in, in, in Exodus, God has heard, and the word was to Moses, I have heard my people. Mm-hmm. The Pharaoh may not have paid attention, but I have heard my people, and now I will go down and and act. And the the thing that I would suggest we need to be mindful of is God gives a society time to hear and to heed the cries of oppressed people. And God allows a society the freedom, the moral agency, to heed and address those cries. But the unheeded cries of oppressed people not only are heard by God, but are honored by God when they are not responded to by people who have power. And that's the challenge for this society. And I would suggest it is especially the challenge for people who are white and faithful. White evangelicals have especially to account for the fact of having been hearers of the witnesses of the cries of oppressed people concerning abusive and homicidal law enforcement. Mm-hmm. for generations and like the pharaohs have been insensitive right hmm. absolutely so i mean you mentioned all i mean and, and to me the, the marches and the protests that we have been seeing take place over the last nine days have borne witness to this crying out of a community that is oppressed by a very systemic uh system that uh is is you know, harboring racism and perpetuating racism at times. And as we pretending like it's not right. And it's the most maddening part of all of this. Yeah. It's offensive. Before there was the, before there was videotape, Hmm. Mm. nobody believed the reports of people of color that there were abusive police officers. And then there was Rodney King in 1992. Mm-hmm. And then the question was, will people believe a white man who takes a videotape? And the answer is no. Right. Rodney King beating was chronicled videotape. And remember now, that was 30 years ago almost, 28 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the answer, all four officers were acquitted. And, and so the, the, that's the frustration. And, of course, the, uh, Los Angeles erupted. That was a cry. Remember what Dr. King says? A riot is the, is the way that people who have not been heard make people pay attention to their pain. Yeah. Uh, and since Rodney King, the names just keep on coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, the names that you know of, Trayvon Martin, yep. Michael Brown, mm-hmm. John Crawford IV, Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, Renisha McBride, Laquan McDonald, Jordan Davis, no, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile. The names go on and on and on. Yep. And I have mentioned them, and you get tired of me saying them, but then people don't understand. I get tired of, as a person of color and people in our community, we get tired of having to utter them. Right. Mm -hmm. We're the ones who have to bury the people. Mm -hmm. We're the ones who pray in our various congregations about the folks that nobody notices, that we know about, that you know we know about, but you don't pray about them. And mm-hmm. so that's part of the frustration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen to all that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So while most sensible politicians and people of faith are denouncing and have denounced overt racism and systemic racism, such as redlining and the mass incarceration of brown and black citizens, um, it just keeps growing. It, it keeps happening. And I know you're tired. I hear it in your voice. I hear it in the voices of, you know, I've heard uh, I've heard people use the, the word right exhausted. People, yeah, exhausted. So, so how how can we what what can people of faith? You mentioned people of faith. How can we continue to shed light on this and to demand change? 
come alongside. I, I, I've heard white people say that. That's the term white people say, come alongside us. Uh, walk with us. Do not be spectators of our pain. Enter into our pain. The, the, the challenge of the George Floyd murder is that the world watched. Mm-hmm. The world watched a man die. And everybody in the world who had any kind of compassion had to realize, oh my God, this is actually happening. There actually are police officers, not just one, not just two. There are four police officers going to actually watch that man Mm -hmm. die. And oh my God, they're going to make that man's neighbors watch him die, and they're going to prevent his neighbors from saving him. They're going to stop his neighbors from saving him from death. They're going to watch his neighbors lynch him, make him get lynched. Then they're going to walk away. Enter unto this with us and feel our sense of aggravation and frustration and feel our anger. That's what you got to do, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then realize that only you have the power, evangelicals, white evangelicals, only you have the power to fix this because you set it up. Mm-hmm. This would not happen but for white supremacy. Mm-hmm. White supremacy fixes, cannot ask people of color to fix something that people of color had no power to create. Mm-hmm. And people of color should not be blamed for not having it fixed, nor should we be assigned the responsibility of fixing it. No. And that's what has been happening in the protests. The protests have finally gotten people from all backgrounds, people of all ethnicities, people of all communities saying, excuse me, this got to be fixed. And all people are now looking at the power structure, the white supremacy power structure saying, no, no, this has got to be fixed. This has to stop. The, The idolatry of law enforcement whereby the law enforcement agents are given the power of God because only God has the power to kill with impunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only God has the power to say, I am just, I am judge, witness, prosecutor, juror, and executioner mm-hmm. without question. Mm-hmm. And only white supremacy makes law enforcement have that power. No other force in the Society has that power. Mm-hmm. And that's idolatry. Yeah. 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 Judge, we're, you know, we're, we are, we keep having this conversation over and over again, trying to convince people that the culture that we live in was built upon white supremacy and therefore, uh, systemic racism is ingrained into our institutions. Uh, exactly what you're talking about. You know, we've, we've talked about redlining. We've talked about mass incarceration. We've talked about income inequality and the inability to have equal opportunities uh, for black, brown, and, and red children as they grow up. It is exhausting, and I know you are exhausted in continuing to have that conversation, but it does seem to be that we are making some strides uh, in that conversation, that people are starting to wake up to the white privilege that most Americans have, and at least beginning to have that conversation. And I, my hope, and I was, would love to hear you respond to this, my hope is that because that conversation seems to be at least increasing, not to where it needs to be, but at least the doors are opening to it now, that it can lead to tangible, systematic uh, change uh, over the systems and institution that white supremacy has been allowed to rule. 
hope, yes. But hope without hands is fantasy. Mm. We hope, yes, but hope without heart is really superstition. We must realize that the word must become flesh, that our hope must become incarnate. And I am going to have a sense of my hopes being realized when I see the word become flesh among white evangelicals. I am seeing the word become flesh among young people who are white and yellow and black. But remember, many of them have already said, I'm... I'm done with church. I'm not having any more church. They're they're in the nuns category. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But remember who has elected our our current power structure. The power structure currently in force have been put in force by people largely who are the voting white evangelicals Mm -hmm. who have been the beneficiaries of and the perpetrators of white supremacy. Right. And let's remember the original sin of racism and white supremacy was sacralized. White supremacy is the theology of the of America. It is our theology. Mm-hmm. We have sacralized white supremacy. And until the white church confesses uh, that idolatry of white supremacy, we will not have a reason to believe in hope because the white church goes and votes. Right. And the white church consistently votes to maintain white supremacy and white privilege. Judge, on Monday, we watched in horror as the President of the United States used federal forces to confront a peaceful demonstration near Lafayette Square in Washington, D.C. In my opinion, a president willing to use the power of the federal government to forcibly move people away for demonstrating their First Amendment rights seems to me like a step closer to totalitarian dictatorship. Would you agree or disagree? Yes, there's a word for it. It's fascism. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's fascism. Let's talk about that yeah. because we fought a world war. Yep. We fought a war against Italy and Germany. Mm-hmm. Fascism. And remember that fascism came to power in Germany because it co-opted the German church. Hitler co-opted German church. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer returned to Germany yep. from the United States to fight Hitler because the Nazi regime had co-opted the German Lutheran church just the same way that the authoritarian white supremacist patriarchal neo-fundamentalist capitalist regime has co-opted the American evangelical church. And what we see is fascism at work. I mean, the political word for this is fascism, right? The strong ruler that brings in the, and remember fascism feeds on fear. Mm -hmm. It feeds on fear and division, fear of the people who are perceived as different, fear the people who are perceived as a threat because they're different, and fear of the sense of loss if the people who are perceived as different somehow are treated fairly because fairness in the fascist regime always equates to loss. Right. And so, and one of the reasons I mentioned this is because I had a conversation with a good Baptist brother who teaches political science in a college in Arkansas who teaches political science. And I mentioned several years ago this fascism. He said, no, it's not fascism because it, it doesn't have a political party. I said, excuse me, you can have the measles without having a doctor diagnosis. <laughs> I mean, That's absolutely. You don't have to have the doctor put the measles label on you right. to have measles. Mm-hmm. 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 And what we've been worrying about is having the label. But, so, but yeah, this is fascism. Yeah. But there's another thing, Brother Mitch. Yeah. 
Fascism is the political term for what we saw President Trump do. There is a theological term for it we need to mention. It's called blasphemy. Mm -hmm. And we saw that after the clearing. What we saw was the president appropriate sacred text, the Bible, sacred space, church, sacred time, place where people were gathered in sanctuary and protest on what would be holy ground. And he appropriated it by force and then held up the Bible as if to vindicate his forceful appropriation of sacred ground as if God had ordained the violation of all that was sacred. That's blasphemy. Mm -hmm. And what I have been concerned about is that people of faith who call themselves people of the book have not called that by its holy name. It is wicked. Mm -hmm. I don't care what party you're in. It's blasphemous. Yes, it's fascist, but it's also blasphemous. And blasphemy is an affront in, in the Bible. I said, there's one sin that is unforgivable. The unforgivable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's in the text, right? Yep, absolutely. And what we saw was blasphemy against the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. And I have been concerned that nobody called that out. Right. Thank you for giving me a chance to say that. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying it. It certainly, indeed, was. I mean, I mean, this this whole week is has been just really one image after another, and from the images that came out of Minnesota and the death of uh, George Floyd to uh, Monday's uh, clearing of Lafayette Square and the blasphemy that the president. Uh, engaged in by the church. Uh, also, we didn't even mention his Rose Garden uh, speech prior to that, that he was one sentence away from declaring martial law in this mm-hmm. country. But at the same time, we have seen people take to the streets. We have seen brothers and sisters stand beside one another all across this country with their hands up, chanting and yelling and screaming and making a stand, saying they are exhausted, they're tired of this, and they are demanding change. I do not want to ever uh, equate anything to what happened during the Civil Rights Movement, but for those who went through the Civil Rights Movement, there seems to be something sacred emerging out of the ashes of this most recent tragedy. And it seems as though people are coming together to demand change, to demand legislative change, tangible things that can bring about systemic change for our country and for our future. And that is my hope. Do you have hope, Judge? Do you have hope that something good can come out of this horrible situation? Oh, yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. I mean, I am I am a follower of Jesus, and I could not be a follower of Jesus if, if I did not have resurrection hope. Mm. You cannot have resurrection hope if you don't have Good Friday life. There you go. Resurrection hope has to always follow a Good Friday experience. And before there's a Good Friday experience, there's always the crisis of Gethsemane. There's a situation where, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at terrible situations, and then there's the Good Friday experience, and you have the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, I have hope. Let me give you an example of why I have hope. Today is today is the 3rd of June. We're doing this uh, interview on the 3rd of June. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be played back uh, whenever it's played back. But George Floyd was murdered on the 25th of May mm-hmm. with the numbers, okay? It took four days for one person to be charged, and he was charged with the lowest form of murder mm-hmm. by a prosecutor who said the day before he pardoned, we're not even sure there was a crime. Yeah. Okay? Now, you want to know how I hope? Mm-hmm. 
the people protested. The people, the, the folk who cried out, the people cried out. Mm-hmm. The people wouldn't stop crying out, even though they were met with riot police. The people wouldn't stop crying out, even though the National Guard was called out. People wouldn't stop crying out, even though all the people, the people didn't stop crying out. And the cry was, why aren't everybody charged? Mm-hmm. And today, as we talk, 3rd of June, all four of the officers now are going to be charged. Good. And guess what the charge is? What? Not the lowest form of murder, mm-hmm. but second-degree murder. They're up in the charges. They are ra- the change of prosecutor mm-hmm. today to second-degree. Remember the post I put it, blog post I yep, mentioned? I, I mentioned one thing needs to happen is the charge needs to be changed to second-degree murder. Most folks don't realize there in Minnesota, there is a second-degree murder, second-degree unintentional murder, and all four are now charged with second-degree unintentional murder. Yes, I have hope. Good. Yet my hope is painful because Mm. I ask myself, if all four had been arrested on the 27th of May, the day they were fired, How much pain would have been avoided? What do we know now that was not known on the 25th and 6th of May that made the world say, why aren't everybody charged? I have hope. I realize, however, that my desire for hope oftentimes has to be tempered by the timing of God. And Lord knows I wish God would get in a hurry. <laughs> Amen. Amen <laughs> I once that. had a friend who, I'll end with this, I once had a friend who lost his wife in a tragic accident. Mm-hmm. I, w- I, would call, I would call his name, Dr. Gardner Taylor. Mm-hmm. whose name Mitch you recall. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Dr. Grant Taylor was, was a mentor of so many of us. And he and his first wife, Laura, were, were met in college. She was killed after they'd been married for 50 years in a tragic accident. And we commiserated with him, prayed for him. And, and he, he said, I once told God... I know, God, you say you won't put more on me than I can bear. I just wish you wouldn't trust me with so much. Yeah, sure. I have hope. I just wish God wouldn't trust me with so much patience. Right. Because I keep wondering how many more black people have to die and we have to wait for longer than it takes us to get arrested, for white folks to get arrested. Right. Why does it take so long? I didn't know it was so hard to get arrested for murder. I didn't know it was so hard to get arrested yeah. for murder when everybody saw you commit murder. Right, right there on the TV screen. Yeah, but the hope I have is now Now we at least know, at least now we can get arrested for second-degree murder, but we can only get arrested for second-degree murder if everybody sees it. Yeah. And then if we get the prosecutor fired who says that there isn't a murder because he saw the murder, but he says it wasn't a murder because we don't know why. Yeah. And only then if we can get a super prosecutor to come take over the case. Hope, yes. But remember, hope is always faith on tiptoe. I like that. I do like that. Well, I'm glad you got faith on tiptoe and that's it's just it's a sad state of affairs when it, we do have to continue to be so skeptical of of justice uh, raining down upon this world and uh, hopefully we will see justice rain down in this particular situation and we can continue to And when we say justice rain down remember that Amos was not talking about sprinkles No he was not <laughs> he was, Justice come like an ever justice was talking about he was talking about a flood Mhm Yep. And so what we need is a flood of justice. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. Absolutely. 
Well, Judge, we uh, appreciate your time with us uh, today on Good Faith Weekly. Uh, Every week we ask our guests to end with one question, and Autumn has the distinct pleasure of asking that question to you. Our motto at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of everything that's going on in the world right now, what's your more to tell? My more to tell is that we are seeing people begin to talk about the what what Samuel Lewis Proctor called the substance of things hoped for and what Martin Luther King talked about the moral arc of the universe we are beginning to see this Martin King talked about this in 68 he talked about this in 68, and he said, I have seen the promised land, and I am looking for, you asked me for the more to see? There is more to see. Mm. There is more to see. I has not seen, ear have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of humans all that God is up to. God is up to something. And the wonderful thing I'm going to do is I just look forward to seeing what God surprises us with. I like that. I like to wait to see what God is going to surprise us with. Well, Judge, thank you so much. Uh, Wendell Griffith is the senior pastor at New Millennium Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. You want to check out his writings at his blog, the fierce urgency of prophetic hope. Judge, thank you so much for being with us today. God bless. And please tell your wonderful, gracious wife we said hello. Her birthday is today. Brother Mitch, Sister Autumn, thank you very much. I will be glad to share your good wishes to her. Pat will be glad to know you thought about it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And God bless you and the people of Good Faith Week. Thank you.